I just want to tell you this morning that God is for you. That Jesus wants you to be free. That Jesus wants you to live a life that is full. Not necessarily easy. Not necessarily comfortable. But he wants you to live a life that is full of meaning and purpose. My prayer as I was listening to the guys, you know, going down the road, this is my name and this is what I want to do. For all of those who were saying, do you know, I'm not sure. Let me say this morning, God is absolutely sure what your next step is. The, the steps of a righteous person is ordered. That God's word is a lamp unto our feet. That God wants you guys who are graduating this year to live a, a life full of meaning and purpose. But we know that sometimes life is a struggle. Sometimes um, things are are going on. We've been singing this morning about at your name, at the name of Jesus, mountains crumble. Sometimes we face mountains. I love to read books about people who climb mountains. Um, I read Bear Bear Grylls' book as he climbed Mount Everest. Who's read that book? Um, I've read a couple of others of, of... People who climb Mount Everest. Stories of, of struggle. Um, some people conquered, actually, by the mountain. And we know that life, sometimes life feels like we are climbing a mountain. But at the name of Jesus, mountains crumble and fall. And if you're anything like me, you know, I have a, I have a few mountains in my life that need shifting. Sometimes life feels like a battle. And we've been saying that in this thing of being free, that, you know, just as there is a God who loves us, he is for us, he wants us to be free, there is, no mistaking it, there is a spiritual enemy and he comes against us. And in fact, the moment we give our lives to God, the moment we surrender to him, I think that's when the enemy gets really interested because he sees the potential in a person who is surrendered to God. That's when he really gets on our back. And he seeks to minimize us, restrict us, weigh us down, and ultimately bring us into bondage. But if Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, uh, a verse I shared a couple of weeks ago is John 10 verse 1. It says this, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. I was sharing that, you know, Jesus, he's called the good shepherd, and we are like the sheep, and and the good shepherd wants to protect the sheep. God wants to protect us. And in the same way that a, a, a shepherd, maybe in the evening, would put the sheep into a fold that has gates just to protect the sheep from things that would come and attack the sheep. So Jesus puts a a hedge of protection around us and Jesus stands at the gate of that fold and he says, look, if you want to attack this person, you've got to come by me. But how many people know that a thief often doesn't come in through the front door? No, yes. Um, my, My picture of a thief is somebody that comes... Um, under the cover of darkness, so they're not clearly seen. Um, Maybe if you're a little bit clever, um, you would go to the front door, first of all, you would ring the doorbell and you would see if anybody's home. Clever, yeah. Um, And then if nobody's home, you would go round to the back and you would try 
the back door. And as, I, as I've been thinking about this thing of giving the enemy a place in our lives, I've been thinking, how do we allow the enemy in? Now, last week, wasn't Dad good last week? Yeah. He's coming along, my dad. You know, I'm discipling him and I'm mentoring him. And uh, at 77, 78, he's beginning to get it. And uh, he was pretty good last week. Um, it was really good last week. He was talking about the mind being a place of battle. This is, this is the battleground, um, is, is the mind, okay? Now, this morning, I want to talk about one of the back doors, okay? One of the ways that the enemy can, can gain some influence over us. So if we are in the sweet spot of life, if we are totally surrendered to Jesus, then, then we are protected and we are safe. But the reality is sometimes we're not surrendered in all areas of our lives. So we give the enemy a route in. And this is one of the key ways that the thief comes into our life. What is it? What's the biggest thing? What's the biggest battle? It's pride. Pride. Now, I realize that Talking about pride is a bit of a tricky thing because either I'm an expert and I'm very humble and I'm here as an expert to tell you all about how I'm so humble and how to be humble just like me um, or I have no, I have an objective distance from speaking about the subject of humility. Um, one, of the, one of the phrases um, that I love is this thing of, are you so proud to think that you are totally humble? It's clever, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't come up with that. Um, that was probably someone like C.S. Lewis or somebody like that. Um, or are you humble enough to realize that you can be proud? I think we all like to think of ourselves as being humble, but the reality is that pride can take many guises many forms. I, I was really battling with pride um, yesterday. There was something happened. And I was just battling so much with this thing of, do you know what, Gareth? You are the most important person in the world right now. Everything needs to revolve around you. And these thoughts go on. You begin to think about yourself. You begin to think about Jesus. And you think, hang on. Whoa, whoa. Hang on. Jesus. No, you're humble. You were, you were willing to lay down your life. You were willing to lay aside your own needs. That you weren't egotistical, Jesus. And that is the model that I need to follow. So this morning we're going to talk about three characters in the Bible. Or four actually. But three places in the Word of God where it talks about pride. Who was the first person who was proud? Satan. Pride is... Why are you laughing over there? What, what, what did you say over there? You got it right. They're laughing because they got it right. Portsmouth University students got something right and they're laughing. Brilliant. Okay. Well done, Ife. Excellent. Okay, pride. Pride is the original sin. Now, we're, we're, we're a little bit hazy in um, the origins of Satan, okay? But what I'm going to say this morning is, is, is what we can kind of 
extrapolate from the Word of God, especially as we look at two Old Testament passages. And, and Jesus, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And commentators think that when Jesus said that, he was referring or thinking about a couple of Old Testament passages. And if you want to go home, I feel this morning a little bit like one of those people at Asda, that they're there with a little sample. You know, they're there with a little, there's a new chocolate that Mr. Cadbury has made. And they're, they're standing there. Would you like to try some new Cadbury chunky chocolate this morning? Give a tiny little piece and you really like it. I'm hoping this morning that in terms of what I'm saying, that I'm just going to give you a little sample of what the Word of God um, is, is teaching us. I would encourage you to go away to study these things and to think, do you know what? The sample is not enough. That was good, Gareth. It was all right, you know. Seven out of ten this morning. Um, but, you know, I want to go home and get the, the real thing. So go home and study these things. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 are speaking, first of all, about some proud earthly rulers. But some, most commentators tell us is that when we look at those passages When we read some of the descriptions of the earthly kings, it goes beyond what an earthly person could do. And actually, there is a double meaning to some of those prophetic words, and they speak about Satan, and they talk about his pride. In Ezekiel 28, it says this, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. How many people know that when God makes something, he does a good job? When God made Satan, he did a good job. He wasn't originally called Satan. We think he was an angel. Um, I think I was saying a couple of weeks ago that we we think he was one of the worship leaders in heaven. He actually had musical instruments built into his angelic being. How cool is that? That That is awesome that you have been so made to be a worship leader that God creates you with pipes and electric guitars and, you know, Hammond organs built into your body, that you carry these things around. That that is our, our, our best understanding of who the angel Lucifer was. But then he began to think, look at me. I am pretty cool. I'm a living, breathing instrument. I lead worship in heaven. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. And the sin of pride began to enter his heart. In Isaiah 14, we read about the five I wills of Satan. Listen to these. Do these sound proud? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. His pride was something that wanted to elevate him, that wanted to see himself lifted up, to be famous, to be seen, to be known, to be ruling. Now the contrast comes when we read Philippians chapter 2, where Paul tells us that our attitude should be the same as Jesus. That Jesus, basically, he is God. 
But he didn't consider equality with God something to be held tightly onto. But he was willing to become a servant. He was willing to become a man. He was willing to humble himself. Philippians 2 is known, for those who are, you know, switched on here. It's known as the kenotic poem because it, the word kenosis, it means to empty yourself. That Jesus, he was so humble that he emptied himself and he became a servant. The gospel is um, just an amazing mystery. That God, who is here, that he would humble himself and he would go to the lowest possible place that he could go, that he would, he would humble himself to death on a cross. And we see this black and white, heaven and hell difference between the heart of Jesus and the heart of Satan that is proud, self-promoting. We then see that, um, and this is where we come in, We then see that Adam and Eve are in the garden and God has created them to be free people. God has said to them, look at this amazing creation. Isn't it great this afternoon that we can go out and we can enjoy God's creation? How many people are going to be outside this afternoon? Fantastic. How many of us have got our sun cream ready? Yeah? We just, you know, it's great, isn't it, to be out in creation to enjoy what God has made, to look at the sea, to enjoy each other's company. God has given us so much. And here is Adam and Eve, and God has given them freedom. God has given them a world, a universe to take care of. And yet they find themselves next to the very thing that God asked them not to touch. I mean, couldn't they think of something else to do? I mean, they were naked, for goodness sake. Couldn't they think of something else to do? Hey. But no, here they are. Next to the very thing that God said, don't touch it. And the enemy, the one who is full of pride, he is not content with himself being proud, and now he wants to sow this seed of sin into the human race. And here's the thing you've got to think about. We were there. We were there. This is what the Bible teaches us. Is that when Adam and Eve took off the fruit, we were there with them. I mean, I don't want to get too graphic, but we, we physically, we were there. In Adam's loins, we were, we were there. Okay? So when Adam and Eve, and this is what it says in Genesis 3, verse 5, this is the temptation that Satan puts in their heart. It's basically, you don't need God. You, if you take, God, God, know, God knows exactly what's going to happen, Adam and Eve, when you take that fruit. Here's what's going to happen. You are going to be like him. Pride. And they take of that fruit out of pride, out of a sense of, do you know what? All these things that God has given us, it's not enough. It's not, I want to be like God. I need more. 
And they take this fruit and sin enters the world. And it becomes part of you and me. When we, um, when we read the book of Romans, we, we understand that you know, the problem with the human race is not so much that we um, do things that are wrong, but we are wrong. That, that sin, pride, is like a disease that seeks to really grip our hearts. Now that obviously works itself out and that we do many things that are wrong, but essentially the, 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 heart, of the, hu- the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. That we are, we are full of pride. We are proud. Now I just want to, and this is, this is where we're going to get into our Bibles this morning. I want to flip for, forward to the New Testament. And I just want to talk about a man who was um, struggling a little bit with this thing of pride. Anybody here humble enough to say pride can be an issue in their life? Oh yes, we know, forget if that's a, an issue. Um, Matthew 16. I'm going to talk about a guy called Simon Peter. Simon Peter was like many of us. He, um, he bowed with this thing of pride. And um, I've sort of picked Simon Peter because I just think it's really interesting the language that Jesus uses when he talks to Simon Peter. This is Matthew 16, verse 21. Are you all with me this morning? That's good. Only two more hours and then we'll be done. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. What is Jesus explaining? He's saying, look guys, I am having to to go down a road of humility here. You see me do all these amazing things, but this is my destiny. My destiny is to be humbled, is to be killed, is to lay down my rights, to put aside my needs, and to be humble. And this is Peter's response. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can I suggest that maybe Simon Peter is struggling with a little bit of pride right now? That if you take Jesus to one side and you rebuke him, you've got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. You know, you must have had four shredded wheat that morning. (laughs) To feel you can take Jesus aside and rebuke him. So we, we feel that maybe here Peter is dealing with some pride. And he rebukes him. He says, never, never, Lord. This shall, this shall never happen to you. This is what Jesus said to Peter. Maybe not the most encouraging thing that Jesus had said to him. He said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We were saying a couple of weeks ago that there are some in the church who who say, well, there are no demons. There is no spiritual battle. Well, we need to look at Matthew 16 because Jesus is directly looking into the eyes of one of his disciples here and he's saying, look, pal, 
Get behind me, Satan. Why was Jesus saying this? I think he was saying this because he, he saw within Peter that same root of pride that he saw within Satan when he fell from heaven. Now, the gospel sort of attacked this kind of moment, this conversation from different angles, and I want to read it from another angle in Luke 22. It says this in verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Pride, again. Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. What's he saying? Boys, be humble. Humility. This is the road we're supposed to walk. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he says this very interesting in verse 31. Simon... Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But here we go. Here's where the pride comes. Verse 33. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, Peter. Tell you, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Pride. Pride. And what is the what is the process here for God dealing with Simon Peter's pride? But Jesus uses this phrase, Simon, listen, all of you, you're having this conversation about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the most awesome? Who's going to sit at my right hand? All this kind of business. Here's the thing. Satan, and the Greek here is very clear. When you look at the original language, what it's saying is, not only has Satan asked, but also he has been given permission to sift you as wheat. Now, I don't know what you conjure up in your mind when you think of being sifted as wheat, but it doesn't sound too comfortable. It sounds like a bit of a process that is going on. Some people say, well, you know, Gareth, I'm a Christian. Jesus has saved me. His Holy Spirit is living in my life. So therefore, Satan cannot touch me. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit is living inside of me and where God lives. The enemy cannot live. I'll just point out a little problem with that kind of theology. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. So if God is everywhere, then we know that the enemy can live 
where God is. Yes, but Gareth, what you need to understand is that there are certain places where God rules and he reigns. We're not maybe talking about the, the, the omnipresence of God, but we're talking about his kingdom rule. We're talking about his reign. Well, hang on, hang on a minute. There are occasions in the Bible where Satan is in heaven and he's asking God for permission to do things. Wow. Um, there's, a, there's a very interesting thing in um, 1 Kings 22 where King Ahab, who is a wicked king, um, God is trying to bring his plans and purposes into the nation of, of Israel and Judah. And it, it says this, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing round him on his right and on his left. So there's a multitude of, of, of beings around the Lord in, in his throne room. What are you thinking? I'm thinking angels, yeah? I'm thinking this is good. This is, this is, this is wonderful. And then the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another said that. Finally, finally, this is in the Lord's throne room, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all prophets. Now, does that, I mean, I'm looking at that, sounds bad. That sounds like a bad spirit. Am I right? I mean, disagree with me, please. But a spirit that is a deceiving spirit that is speaking lies into the mouth of the prophets, he's not on the good side. He's on the bad side. So here we have this picture of God surrounded by heavenly hosts. And actually, within those hosts, there is the enemy. As we read from the Gospels, we see that Satan comes to God and he asks permission from God to sift Simon Peter like wheat. Here's what I want to, here's the nub of what I'm going to say to you this morning. There's a proverb that says this. Pride comes before a... It doesn't say that, actually. Pride comes before destruction. Don't believe me, do you? Let's look it up. Proverbs 16. Who's got their Bibles this morning? Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit, whatever that is, I'm not sure, will come before a fall. Now here's the thing. This is where I'm going to land the plane right now, okay, with all the things that I've said. If we are proud, if you allow a, a root of pride to get into your life and you do not resist it, but you surrender yourself to it, you are partnering with the enemy. You are following along the same line as what the original sin was, Satan in heaven, thinking he was better than God. Now, if you allow that thing of pride to grow in your life, it will lead to destruction. 
If you have a life that says, do you know what? I am going to be the reference point for me. I'm going to, I'm going to live the, the way I want to live. I'm not going to listen to other people. Everybody else is wrong. I am right. This is me. This is me. This is me. If you carry on down that road, it will lead to your destruction. There's not many amends to that. But God is good. Where do we start? God is good. He loves you. He is for you. He has plans to prosper you and to do good things in your life. So God wants to deal with this thing of pride. He wants to root out the pride in your life. And here's the thing. If God needs to use an evil spirit or Satan himself to sift Simon Peter and to give him a bit of a shaking, if God needs to do that, he will do it. Because he loves you. Now, that encourages me. Because you know what it tells me? It tells me that God is in control. That even the evil spirits, even Satan himself, he has to ask for permission to touch me. He has to ask God for permission to touch Simon Peter. Now, we see this incredible moment in Simon Peter's life where, yes, he does fail. He, he makes a mistake. He has maybe a haughty spirit and he falls. But you know what? He is not destroyed. He is not destroyed because God does this incredible work of humbling in his life. That Satan is there and it's almost like he, Satan has got a sieve and... and, and the holes in the sieve are for, for, for people who have no faith whatsoever. So people with no faith whatsoever, they're, they're falling through. And, and Satan's there and he's sifting, he's sifting, he's sifting. But somehow, Simon Peter, he just has a little bit of faith. And he sticks in there. And he becomes the Apostle Peter. The one whose confession the church is built upon. A major player. In the early church. Because yeah, there's a little bit of faith. And Satan is shaking and shaking. But he's, he's able to stay there. Because he's humbled. And he realizes his mistake. And he comes back to Jesus after Jesus is resurrected. He's a broken man. He's a broken man. And he says, Lord, I, I messed up. I messed up. God, please forgive me. And there's repentance. Humility. In his life. There's none of us here this morning who want to be destroyed. Didn't wake up this morning, did you? Thinking, I really want to be destroyed. You know, as I think about my future, I'm going to leave Portsmouth University. Yeah, I'm not going to stay in Portsmouth. I'm going to be destroyed. That's what I want for my life. That's my mission statement. Yeah. That's where I'm Of course we don't. If we walk down the road of pride, if we allow the enemy to get a foothold, if we do not submit to God, but we submit to the enemy, pride will grow and grow, and the enemy will get a bigger and bigger foothold in our life. The encouraging thing is, is that there is no foothold, no stronghold so big that Jesus cannot deliver us. We talked in our first week in this series about a man who had thousands of demons. And the thousands of demons 
could not prevent this man from coming to Jesus and being delivered. So this morning, can I ask you, are you humble? Uh, it's a trick question. <laughs> uh, am I humble? Um, ah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I think I was sharing a couple of weeks ago, and I'll, I'll end here. That um, when, I, when I flew to Eastern Europe, when we arrived in Eastern Europe, there was a round of applause on the plane. It was like people were happy to be alive. People were thinking, we may not get there. This, may, this plane may go up in balls of flames. And we touched down, and all the Eastern European people, woohoo, we're alive, yes, ha ha ha. We came back to London, nobody clapped at all. You know, it's just, oh, whatever. <laughs> now, you may have two people sitting on the plane. One person, one person is, yeah, we're alive. You may have a person, and they've taken Prozac and sleeping pills, and they're nervous. Oh, my goodness, are we going to make it? Are we going to get there? And they just, they just have no, I say no, they have little, 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 little faith that the plane is going to make it. You have somebody else who gets on the plane, and they say, do you know what, no problem. They sweat. The plane's fine. The pilot's fine. I have 100% confidence in, in Aeroflot that they are going to get me to where I need to go. Now let me ask you this question. When those two people get off the plane, who got them there? Was it the person's faith that got them there? Did it matter that one person had more faith than the other person? Did it make a difference to their journey? No. The reason why they got from A to B is because the pilot and the plane, it was all about them. It was about the plane being safe. It was about the pilot being trained. Sometimes we've got to be careful in the Christian walk that as we're sitting on the plane of life, as we're heading to this incredible hope and future called heaven, that we are sitting on the plane thinking, ooh, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at my confidence in Jesus. Wow, this is about me and and how I feel and my faith. No, it's not. The only, the only reason why we can have a hope and a future that is certain that is heavenly, is because it's all about Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And the moment I begin to think, well, you know, this is about what I'm doing, this is about how I'm serving, this is about how humble I am, this is about how much faith I have, we are missing the point that God consistently wants to remind us, humble yourself. Humble yourself, Gareth. Anything that good that happens in your life, it's not because you have great faith. It's not because you have great knowledge. It's not because you have a pure character. It's because of Jesus. And the only amount of faith I need It's a faith that just gets me on the plane. Yeah? 
For it is by grace we have been saved. Not through works. You notice that verse doesn't read, for it is through, by works that we have been saved. Through faith. Through grace, sorry. All we have to do, just do a tiny, tiny, just a little bit of faith. The faith is not in ourselves. It's not in what we can do. A tiny little bit of faith that says, do you know what? I will put myself on the plane of the great pilot. It will get me from here to where I need to go. I need to humble myself. I need to just sit on the plane. And I need to trust. Can we all just close our eyes for a moment? Maybe the worship team can come forward. We are doing this series because we want to understand that there is a battle going on for our lives. And maybe even right now, just as you're sitting, listening to me, hopefully listening to the Holy Spirit, maybe a battle going on in your mind and just want you to know this morning that God, He is for you. He loves you. God does not want you to be destroyed. And the God who sees everything, He he sees, He sees the roads, not only the, the, the roads we begin to walk down, but He sees where those roads lead. Now of compassion and his love and his mercy, sometimes there comes a sifting, a shaking, a difficulty in our life. And if we don't respond in the right way, then we give the enemy a, a greater foothold. God brings that shaking so that we can be humbled and we can come back to him and say, God, I need you. I depend on you. I trust you. I build my life upon you, Lord. And there may be some people here this morning and you just want to pray that prayer. There's a sense of, of maybe pride that you recognize in your life. You just want to come back to a place of humility this morning. And say, God, I just I put my confidence in you and you alone. If that's you this morning, can I just ask you to stand probably in of itself a very humble act just to say God I need to get some things right here this morning and I'm even willing to stand as you stand up now and then we're going to pray together and then we're going to worship Jesus Lord, I thank you that in this account of Simon Peter, you made it very clear 
You made it very clear to, to him that you were praying for him, Lord. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And I just know that for everybody who is here this morning, everybody who is standing, that Lord Jesus, you are the most incredible prayer. That you are interceding right now for each and every one of us. And I thank you, Lord, that you are praying. You are praying. You are interceding that our faith would not fail. So, Lord, we humble ourselves this morning. We say, Lord, we want to, as you did, we want to empty ourselves of ourselves. We want to humble ourselves. As we're standing this morning, we are humbling ourselves. God, God, we're saying we, we, we are so prone sometimes to this thing of pride, this thing of me. God, we just want to humble ourselves before you and ask you, Lord, just to hold on to us, to keep us strong. God, it's your strength that enables me to do anything, Lord. It's your grace that sets me free. It's your love, Lord, that brings healing in my life. That anything that good is happening right now within me, Lord, is because of you and not because of me. So we humble ourselves this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've come and you've placed the Spirit of Jesus within us. That, Lord, as we were once in Adam, now we are in Jesus. That the old things have gone. That the pride that was there, God, it it really, if we are living in you, it is gone. We declare that today, that we are a new creation. That we stand today and we say, God, we want, to, we want those old things to be dead. They are dead. We declare that they're dead this morning. And we want to live in that new identity of being in you, Jesus. That as you are humble, so we are humble. As you are serving, so we are serving. God, those old things are gone and the new has come. So Lord, as we worship you now, we do so in humility, saying that you are great, you are good, you are God. And we bow ourselves before you and we lift you 